Belfast Park, we had our volunteer appreciation carnival. Thank you to the hundreds who made it out. We had more than 300 people with, with adults and kids combined. Uh, spent more than three hours playing games, hanging out. Uh, I have found out how to, um, how to get people at our church to act really unspiritual, and it's just put them on a go-kart. Uh, if you put people in our church on a go-kart, they just go crazy. We, we had lines. People waited 30, 45 minutes to get on a go-kart ride at Paradise Park just to wreck a friend of theirs who went to um, our church and spent them out. And then, like, the 50 people in the line would all start celebrating when someone got wrecked and people would drive around pumping their fist in the air. And I just thought, we need to have a prayer meeting um, after, after we get done racing. But thank you for those who came out and served and made it possible. For those of you who are volunteers, we love you. I hope it was a good time. We cannot do church without you. And, uh, man, thank you for, uh, for hanging out with us for a few hours. Danielle and I were, were having a discussion a few weeks ago. You know, this is our very busy season um, of the year from Easter to Mother's Day. In the calendar of a church, there's just a lot that goes on. That's kind of... Um, that's kind of the time where you get a lot of things done, starting at Mother's Day. Mother's Day really starts summer, because next weekend's graduation, then Memorial Day. So you got to cram a lot of work into a little bit of time. And it's also the time that baseball starts, um, and soccer starts, and softball starts, and dance wraps up, and you, you name it, people have it going on. So spring is the busiest time of the year for a church, but it's also the busiest time of the year for church people. So there's a lot that goes on, and we have baby dedications, and senior recognitions, and uh, volunteer appreciation parties, and on and on and on. It's just a very busy time, which leads sometimes to a very hectic time in our household because Danielle and I are, are both kind of leading ministries and leading people. And uh, we got into a, a spirited discussion the other day. I say spirited discussion because Danielle said, don't tell the people when we fight anymore. So it wasn't a fight. It was a spirited discussion because that sounds more spiritual. Um, but we were arguing about some things that were going on or weren't going on and some, some things that just hadn't been done well, and some things that were upcoming at a church. Uh, and Danielle was just, I mean, kind of overwhelmed with life and church and everything. And she said, Christian, I don't think you realize, um, like, how much time it takes just to be a wife and a mom. And I know, I know you want me to do all this other stuff, but you have no idea what, what goes into just being a wife and a mother. And I thought, you know what, you're probably right. And this week I thought, you're more right even than I understood because Morgan Stanley this week, which is a big financial firm, uh, put out an article this week um, on what um, a mom would get paid if she got paid to be a mom. Like what is the average hourly wage for the things that moms do and how often they do them? And they put out a little graph that I know some of you mothers would like to hand your husbands right now, because I saw a lot of you start bumping your husbands um, as soon as I went into this. But it said, what if mom got paid for being mom? How much would she make? And then it begins to break down the columns. Cook, cooking, um, an average of 90 minutes a day um, every week. And that, that could be a high or low at $9 an hour. Driving. Uh, if you had to pay a professional driver to drive your kids around and shuttle your kids around, uh, average of nine hours a week at $13.83 an hour. Helping with homework. What if you had to pay a tutor to, um, you know, if your kids are in junior high or high school, help them. Um, if they're in elementary school, to, for some of, some of you, just do their homework in elementary school. You get these big projects that are brought home that you literally you have to help your kids do. Um, 10 hours of homework a week, $18.48 is the going rate for a tutor. Taking care of the kids. If you had to pay someone in child care to do what you do for your own children, 40 hours a week at $9.58. Nursing wounds, 
um, cleaning up, planning parties, summer activity planner. Here's a good one, therapy. How much would you have to pay a therapist to work with your children as much as you work with a therapist? Uh, Average five hours a week, $62 an hour. Um, Shopping for the family, yard work, um, finding out what the kids are up to. How much would you have to pay a private investigator to do the things that you do when you spy on your kids? $21 an hour, a couple hours a week. And it added up, it said an average mom, if you were to pay someone to be the mom of your kids, just pay them their basic average hourly wage, a mother is worth at least $76,318 financially a year for those of us who have kids. So um, I I know we're not going to hand out money today, but we are going to say moms and grandmas, thank you. We appreciate you. There really should be one Mother's Day per month, not one a year, because the truth is um, we could not do it without you. And the second truth is most of us don't even realize we couldn't do it without you until you're not there. So mothers, thank you. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, and today I, I want to share a Bible story with you in Genesis chapter 16. If you have your Bible, that is a, uh, that is a mother who was feeling very much like Danielle was, uh, was feeling when we were having this conversation the other day. Um, she's a mother who I, I'm sure feels a lot like mothers often feel from time to time. My Bible study title today is just The Unseen Mother. We meet a mother in Genesis chapter 16 who feels alone. We meet, it's, it's a single mom, actually. I have decided after doing a decade of ministry that single mothers are like the heroes and champions of the church world. I do not know how single moms do it. For those of you who are single mothers, we love you. We're proud of you. If we can do anything to help you uh, as a church, please let us know. We love single moms. Uh, but in Genesis chapter 16, we, we meet a single mom who's, who's having a tough day. Um, and this text will apply not only to single moms, but, but here, here's what I want you to know. Um, and mothers, I, I'm going to ask you to share your day with us spiritually so that we don't just target mothers the whole day. But if you're a person who has ever found yourself having a bad day, wondering if God knows or if God cares, this day is for you. And Mother's Day for some is, is not a, a great day. I was reminded this week by one of my pastoral mentors that Mother's Day for many is one of the most painful days of the year because there are a lot of people who have lost mothers recently. And to have this Mother's Day um, without a mom is extremely difficult. There are mothers who have lost children. So every Mother's Day for them is, is just an exercise in, in grief because they're remembering the children that they have lost. There are mothers in our church right now who do not have good relationships with their kids. And today's going to be a tough day because... It's a day where you, you should be with family, but you and your kids are not getting along. And there are children in our church, grown adult children, who are not getting along with your parents. Um, and today, while we celebrate Mother's Day, you know you're not going to have lunch or dinner with, with your mom because things aren't going very well. Uh, we have several young mothers uh, in our church, or would-be mothers, um, who have had miscarriages. And every Mother's Day for them is, is just a remembrance of what happened. So Mother's Day for many is, is a hard day. And today as we look at Genesis chapter 16, I'm going to introduce you to a mom who was having a tough day. But really this mother could be anyone who was ever having a tough day. This message today is for anyone who's ever wondered if God sees them or if God cares about them or if God's ever going to do anything to help you in your circumstance. Today's message is for you 
but it happens to be a single mom having a rough day. We find her in Genesis chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible today, our ushers are going to come down the aisle. They're going to pass out Bibles. We're going to read almost the whole chapter, 14 verses. So if you want to follow along, just wave at them. They'll give you a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, keep this one. It's yours. Put your name in it. Hang on to it. We've given away more than 400 since our church has started just like this. If you just forgot one and want one to read along with today, read it, throw it on the table when you leave, and we'll give it to someone else next week. But we're introduced to a single mom who's having a tough day in Genesis chapter 16. And today's message is, man, for anyone on any tough day that you're ever having, if you wonder if God sees or if God cares, this message is for you. And here's what it says in Genesis chapter 16. Now, Sarai, and we're going to be introduced to a family that you and I know as Sarah and Abraham. Their names were changed later in life. I'm going to call them Sarah and Abraham because this is what we know them by. Uh, but this is before their names were changed. Now, Sarai, who would be Sarah, Abram's wife, who would be Abraham, uh, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go and sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now, I want, I want to stop right there because we read this and say, That sounds crazy, but really it doesn't. Um, we are more developed now in, um, in fertilization of eggs and helping people get pregnant who are having trouble. But this would just be a surrogacy pregnancy. Uh, you know, we... We experience these. We know what these are today. This is someone who they can't have kids, so they're going to have someone else have their kids. Now, the tricky thing here is the, the technology to implant what was needed to implant, to impregnate Hagar wasn't around, so Abraham was going to go ahead and sleep with her. That was the tricky part, but the thought is the same. You have a couple who couldn't have kids, who wanted to have kids, and she said, here's, here's an idea. So Abraham's wife had an idea. We read it, think it's sick and twisted, but it's not that far from... Um, what people are trying to do today if if we really desperately want to have children. So that's what happened. I'm going to start in verse 1 again, and we'll pick up the narrative. Now, Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go and sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abraham had been living in Cain in 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. Now, when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. So Sarah said to Abraham, you are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now she knows she's pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Verse 6, Abraham said, your slave's in your hands. Just do with her whatever you think is best. So Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Now, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarah, where have you come from? Where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she said. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you're now pregnant and you will give birth to a son and you shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard your misery. He'll be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him. And he'll live in hostility toward all his brothers, but he'll live, you'll live and it will be okay. Verse 13. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her that day. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Be'er Laha Roy. It is still there today between Kadesh and Bered. Now, we have one of the, one of the greatest Hebrew names of God in our English Bible that we have just read there. And many times in the Old Testament, you'll see somebody name God what they have experienced um, through God. So you'll, you'll see every now and then the Old Testament will call God Jehovah Jireh. 
Uh, that literally means the Lord provides. That's what Abraham named God when he was going to sacrifice his son Isaac. God provided a ram instead of Isaac. And uh, Abraham said, wow, I now know God as a provider. He helped me when I needed something. Um, at one point, they call God Jehovah Nisi. Um, at another point, they, they call God Jehovah Rapha. All these things would, these would be circumstances where God would show up and, and be something to someone. But Hagar had a day where, as she's trying to figure out which end is up, um, she had a day where, for the first time in her life, she recognized that God knew who she was, that God cared about her, that God was aware of what's going on in her life, and she named God Beer Laharoy, which means the God who sees me. I want to share two things with you this morning from this narrative before we walk out of here to encourage you on Mother's Day and to challenge your soul a little bit on maybe where you are spiritually. The first thing that I want you to know that God wants you to know, the first thing that Hagar would want you to know from Genesis 16, 13, and 14 is that God sees you today. Even if your husband doesn't see what you do, even if your ex-husband doesn't see what you do, even if your kids are not appreciative of what you do, or if your boss doesn't know the things you do, or your employees don't know how hard your work because you, you are an employer, or you, your neighbors, or your parents, you need to know if no one else today knows where you are and how you're doing, God sees you today. In verses 13 and 14, here's the realization that Hagar had. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me, she said. And I've seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Laharoi. It's still there between Kadesh and Bered. Now this moment was a life-changing moment for Hagar. And I want you to think about why this was. Um, she was not having a good day and she had not had a good life probably for the last couple years. If we were to trace her story back, it goes something like this. Uh, Abraham and his wife Sarah were living in the land of Canaan. There was a drought there. They couldn't uh, grow any food. Their wells were drying up. So they moved down to North Africa, a little place in Egypt, um, and they stayed there until the drought was over. When they got down there, Abraham kind of swindled the king of the nation um, a little bit, and God put a curse on him for how he was treating Abraham. Uh, and Abraham went to the guy, and, and through a little bit of dialogue, it was figured out that, um, hey, God's protecting me, and you're threatening me, so things are going bad in your world because of our relationship. And the guy said to Abraham, look, I want you and your God to go away, um, and I will pay you. And he gave some of his servants, who may have been some of his family, they may have been some of his extended family, certainly they, they served as families. He took some of them and told Abraham, you can have them. Here's your gift and go. Hagar was a part of that payment. Hagar was a part of that payoff for Abraham to leave this former person she worked with alone. So she finds herself exchanged for favor, sent back to Canaan, and then one day the person that she works for comes to her and asks her to sleep with her husband who probably does not even speak the same language that she does. Hagar most likely is a teenager. Abraham at the time is 90. So you have found yourself taken from your family, taken from your former job, paid off to this man who was causing your trouble, and now as a teenager you're asked to have his child because his wife cannot get pregnant. You agree to that, to sleep with and begin to live with a man who, again, culturally you have nothing in common. Who knows if they even spoke the same language. And when you finally get pregnant, the wife who asks you to have the baby begins to hate you and be jealous of you so much that literally she, she makes your life so miserable you run away. And you find yourself in the middle 
of the Middle East, in the desert, teenage, pregnant, alone. The only people that you know who probably worship God have mistreated you so terribly that you couldn't think that you would want to be like them or that you would enjoy being close to their God. Probably your family that you came from before worshipped a lot of gods and none of them were able to save you from this mess. So you probably sit down by a spring of water hoping to get a drink before you continue your flight or before you just lay down and die and all of a sudden God shows up. I mean, this is a life-changing day at the very bottom of the barrel. Like, I don't know that anyone in here has hit rock bottom like Hagar, but we've had our moments where we find ourselves sitting by the last bit of spiritual, emotional, uh, physical refreshment we, we may ever get before we wonder if we live the last day or two of our life. I mean, things were bad. And Hagar has this realization that this God who she had heard about, this God who she had seen people worshiping, this God who she had not at, up to this point had an encounter with, all of a sudden she has this unbelievable, life-changing thought that this God cares about me too. And he's going to make sure that I am taken care of. Now what's interesting is I, as I put together this outline and as, as I was preparing to, you know, asking God, how do you, how do you want me to teach this to our people? Um, God said, Christian, most of your people are not like Hagar. Now, there may be some people here today who don't believe in God. Um, And I hope that there are. I hope we're in the business of bringing people who don't know God yet to be a part of what we're doing. And and I hope today you at least enjoy watching what Christians do. And and you see a spirit here that, uh, that you'd enjoy if you believed like we believe. But I don't think most people here need to be convinced that God is real or that God sees them. I think most of us probably believe that God is real, and I think most of us believe that God sees us. I've not said anything life-transforming. I I think for many Americans, that's kind of birthed in our DNA. Yeah, God is real, and if he's God, certainly he sees what's going on. Our question today is not whether God exists or God sees us for most of us. Our question today is, okay, if God is real and if God sees us, does God care? We don't doubt that God is God or that God sees us. We just doubt whether or not God cares because our circumstances make it appear that he has forgotten about us a little bit. And as you look carefully into the life of Jesus for this answer, every time I have a question about God, I try to look in the life of Jesus who is God incarnate, which means that if God were a man, he would look like Jesus because we say Jesus Jesus is God and was God. So every time I wonder... You know, like, how, what would God be like in this situation? I see if Jesus said anything to answer that question. And in this case, he does. If God is real and if God sees us, does God care? Jesus says that he does. We're at Matthew chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, I want you to flip over there. And we're going to read a tremendous portion of Scripture where Jesus is doing nothing more than letting people know, listen, God knows what you're going through, and he cares about it, and he'll help you. Now, I don't know what, what your heart is designed to get out of this message today, but if it's just Matthew 6, that's good enough for a lifetime of ministry to realize God knows, God cares, and that in some way God is on it and he'll take care of it. It is a big thing. In my Bible, in Matthew 6, it literally, the title of this section is literally, Do Not Worry. I mean, that's, that's how my Bible paraphrases these verses I'm getting ready to read. 
Do not worry. And here's what Jesus says when we wonder, does God, does God see me? Does he care? Is he going to do anything? Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. I mean, verse 25. What you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. So don't worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You know, I love what Jesus does here. Jesus gives us everyday things that will remind us not to worry if we listen to him. Jesus gives us everyday things to say, listen, here's how much I care about you. I care about that thing that you see every day, and that's not even really that important. You know, this text has become so burned in my spirit that um, literally every time I see a bird, we have a group of birds in our backyard that like to build a nest in my grill that's on my deck. Um, and I bought a grill cover and it blew away. And every spring, this will, be, um, this will be our third year in a row. At some point this month, I'll walk out and my grill will be filled with grass and twigs and all this stuff. They fly in the back of my grill. They build a nest. I don't have a heart to kill them. I don't have a cat to set out on them. I don't want to give them poison. I just clean it out. And if you're my neighbor and see my backyard, like I keep my grill open most of the time so they won't build a nest. But every time I watch a bird flying with something in its mouth because of Matthew 6, I remember God cares. Every time I live in Eagle Creek and I, I drive up and down Pryor Road and 150 Highway often in just my daily life, and, and off of uh, Pryor Road, if you've driven north and south on it, uh, for about three weeks in the spring, these, these beautiful wildflowers uh, grow up. And it's just like beautiful purple on both sides of the road until it freezes and then they're gone. Their day I was driving down 150 Highway and there was just a beautiful field filled with probably weeds that appeared to be beautiful yellow in color. And every time I see something like that, it reminds me God cares. God says, listen, listen, when you wonder if I care, look at the birds. Do they look worried today? Look at the, the weeds outside. Do they look worried today? You have to realize that not only do I see you, but I care. See, I think the spiritual dilemma that more of us are facing, I, I don't think very many today are facing, is God real, does God see me? I think the spiritual dilemma in our hearts, if we were to be honest today, that we are facing today is this. We don't, whether, we don't wonder whether or not God sees us. We wonder whether or not God cares. And Hagar had this unbelievable moment where she realized that God saw her, but it was more than that. It was more than realizing that God was real. It was more than realizing God saw her. It was realizing that God was real, that God saw her, that God cared about her, and that God was going to help her that really transformed her day and transformed her life. It's the combination. A relationship with God is a combination of learning both that He sees you and that He cares about what's going on in your life. And when that combination hits, when you realize that on this side God cares and on this hand uh, on this side that God is real and on this side that he sees you and, he's gonna, and he cares about you and he's going to help you, 
It allows your eyes to be open in a whole new way. And that's the second thing Hagar experienced. First thing that she said was, wow, God sees me. But then she made this statement, which I have never seen in this text until I began to study it for our Bible study today. The thought that God not only sees us, but God desires to be seen by us. So God sees you, but God's desire is for you to see him. See how that works? God sees you. His desire is for you to see him. Now, here's how well I know this passage. My, uh, Genesis chapter 16 is, is near and dear to my heart because of the fact that you have someone who, um, man, has been alienated from country, from friends, from family. They feel all alone, and then God steps in, and they're like, man, I'm not alone. God is here. And I love this story, and I love this name for God because it sounds cool, Beer Laharoi. I mean, that's just fun to say. It just, just kind of rolls off the tongue. And, and here's how much I like that. I, I had somebody who asked me one time. They were getting a tattoo, and they said, hey, I want to I get a tattoo um, of something cool that reminds me that God is always with me. What should I get? And I said, you've got to get in the Hebrew, Beer Laharoi tattooed i mean i know this section of scripture so well that i've had someone tattoo it on their not on their rear end i think it was actually on their wrist but i mean i've had someone get a tattoo of this it means so much to me i've taught this a half dozen times um i know this well but not until this week did i see what hagar said i've always got stuck on the name beer laha roy god sees me Only this week did I see what Hagar said in verse 13. It says, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. Because she said, here's her reality, I have now seen the one who sees me. We could say in the English language this. I'm giving God the name God sees me because, like, I finally get it. Like, I, I finally get it spiritually. I finally understand who God wants to be for me and who God will be for me. Now, if you're taking notes, you might jot down the realization of this text. I mean, Hagar had to be, first and foremost, surprised that God showed up. It's like she's on the run. The only people that knows God, she's running from. She doesn't like, she doesn't like how they treat her. So I think, first and foremost, she had to be shocked that God showed up. But, but then she had to be further shocked that God spoke to her. And then she had to be really surprised to find out that God knew her and maybe most surprised and comforted that God cared for her. And when this sunk in, that God shows up when you need him and he speaks to you when you need his wisdom and he knows what you're going through and he cares about it, it clicked for her that I get it. Like I get who God is supposed to be for me. And what's so crazy is I'm studying Genesis 16 this week and I'm, I'm listing these things on my whiteboard because I whiteboard everything. You know, that this had to be who Hagar was and this had to be what Hagar was feeling. So I've got a picture in my mind of this woman sitting by this, this spring of water that will become a well. I have a picture in my head of a woman at a well having an encounter with God for the first time in her life realizing that like God loves her and wants to be close to her. And my mind flashes to John chapter 4, which is a similar New Testament story that we call the woman at the well. We never learn her name. But she has a similar encounter with Jesus where Jesus is traveling from Galilee in the north to Judea in the south, and he passes through Samaria on the way there. It would be like driving from here to Missouri or here to Columbia. You got, kind of got to go through Blue Springs on the way. And he stops off in Samaria, and there's a well in town, and he sits down by the well, and a woman comes out to draw water, and he says, Can, can you give me a drink? And she looks at him and says, 
Um, like, you're a man, I'm a woman. Culturally, you're not supposed to be speaking to me. More than that, you're Jewish, I'm Samaritan. We're, we're supposed to kind of hate each other. Um, you know, why, why would you ask me for a drink of water? And he said, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for a drink of water. And I not only would give you a drink of water, I'd give you living water so that you'd never thirst again. And she said, how do, how do I get this? How do I get something that would be so life tr- transformational that my life would never be the same? And Jesus said, go, go, go get your husband and we'll, I'll, I'll talk to you about it. And she said, oh, I'm not married. And he said, you're right. You've been married five times. Uh, and the man you're living with now is not really your husband. So you, you kind of told the truth there. Um, but let's get real with each other. And she said, okay, I, I can tell, obviously, something special about you spiritually. And they begin to have a conversation where she says, are, 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 you, are you the one who can change my life? She used the word Messiah. The word Messiah means Savior of the world. That's a translation. Are you, Messiah? Are you the Savior of the world? And he said, I am. And in, Gen- and in uh, John chapter 4, verse 29, she said something that until this week I had never really lived in my mind. And this week I began to live it. And it showed me a picture of Jesus that I was so attracted to spiritually. In John chapter 4, verse 29, she said this. After she asked Jesus, are you the Savior of the world? And he said, yeah. She went back to everyone in town and she said this. Come and see a man who's told me everything I did. Could, could he be the Savior of the world? Could he be the Messiah? Now, I thought about this, and I just thought about my own life, right? Because most of us didn't meet. I'm 35. Most of us did not meet until I was at least 33 or 34. And I thought, if a guy showed up on Sunday who knew everything about my life and who was willing to talk about all the bad stuff about my life, like, I would never let him near my friends, right? I mean, I would not go say, hey, you all got to come see this guy. He's got all the dirt on my life. I would say, listen, you just stay inside. I got to go to church. I'll be back after church, but don't talk to anyone. Um, because I would not want him to say to others what he said to me. Oh, yeah, she can't stay married, and she's in a bad relationship now, and blah, blah, blah. But I look at this, and she didn't say that. So I have to put myself in the situation and think, okay, if a man who told me everything I ever did doesn't scare you, doesn't, doesn't make you run away, doesn't make you afraid to tell others, man, Jesus must have been so gentle. He must have been so non-judgmental. He must have been so forgiving. He must have been so loving. I mean, he, he must have been... It, it, it must have went more like... Listen, I know you've been married five times and the guy you're living with is not your... I, I get that, but listen... Like, that's in the past. We can't change that. We're, we're going to have to move on. And he began to talk to her about adding value to her life. So I've been coming here to get water. And he said, listen, what if I could change your life forever? And she was like, you've got my attention. See, Jesus is in the business, not of looking backwards, but of looking forward. Jesus is in the business of changing lives forever. Jesus is in the business of finding people who are sitting on the side of the road wondering if he's there, wondering if he cares, wondering if, if he'll help. He's in the business of saying, listen, let's just start fresh from today. And wherever we were before today and whatever happened before today, we're just, we're going to we're just gonna have to leave that in the past. And let's just start today with some life-transforming relationship. And it fired this woman up so much that she came back and said, you have to meet this guy, not because he knows all the bad stuff I did, but because he's willing to give me new stuff that will sustain me for the rest of this life and for my eternity.
You know, he offered her more than her current life. I come here every day to draw water. What if you never had to draw water again? What if I could meet all your needs now and forever? And she said, man, I I am interested in that. She was interested in Jesus. You know, I said this a couple weeks ago when when we preached on attitude and being people that that attracted others to Jesus. Um, that, That I think the world is kind of disconnected from Jesus because of Christians. I think many times it's their fault. Those who claim to be Christians and those who claim to be the mouthpiece of Christianity, I think a lot of times get in the way of people seeing Jesus. And I have a pastor who's begun to mentor me and about seven other church planners from all over the city. And Tuesday we were having a meeting with him and he was talking about a series that his church went through where he convinced his church to stop referring to themselves as Christians. And he said, just quit telling people you're a Christian. Because most people who don't go to church, they don't like Christians. And if they know you're a Christian, they're going to turn you off spiritually. So he said, quit calling yourself a Christian because a lot of people have had bad experiences with Christians. He said, instead, just tell people you're a Jesus follower. Because he said, I've not met very many people who have had a bad experience with Jesus. And if we get them, by the, word, by the way, the name Christian, it, it's my name, means follower of Christ. When people hear Christian, they're supposed to think of Jesus. Unfortunately, when people hear Christians, they think of Christians and those they don't like instead of Jesus. He's convinced his whole church to call themselves Jesus followers instead of Christians because he said, I want people to focus on Jesus, not you. And I thought, man, this woman wanted to be a Jesus follower. She didn't want to be Jewish rather than Samaritan. She didn't want to move to Jerusalem instead of worshiping there. She just, like she wanted to be close to Jesus because... An encounter with her, like Hagar in Genesis 16, an encounter with God had radically changed her life. And here's what happens. When someone has an encounter with Jesus that radically changes their life, they usually like to go and tell others about it. In John chapter 4, verses 39 through 42, so she went and got all her friends. It was like, you've got to meet this guy. You, you, you've got you to hear what he's saying. You've got to see what he's doing. And in verse 39, it says, many of the Samaritans from her town believed in him. Because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything that I ever did. So they came to Jesus and they urged him to stay with him and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. We now have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. You see, Hagar had a point in time in her life when it clicked that God saw her. And he loved her and he wanted to be close to her. And when she saw that side of God, she said, I want to be close to you. In John chapter, in John chapter 4, a woman had an experience with God where she realized that God loved her. And he, he was okay with forgiving her past and giving her a new future. And when her eyes were open to that and she saw who God was, she wanted to follow Jesus. And then she went and told her friends. And when they got to experience Jesus, their eyes were open and they wanted to follow him. My question today is, are your eyes open to the fact that God loves you and he sees you and he cares and he wants you to follow him and to be close to him? Or, or are you stuck at Hagar? Yeah, I know God sees me, but I don't know what that means for me. Or maybe you're stuck on Hagar's flight and you're running away from anyone you know that loves God because maybe they've turned you off and maybe you have to get enough distance from people who call themselves Christians. Maybe you have to get away from them far enough that you can really experience who Jesus is. But today you're hearing about a Jesus 
um, who's very attractive to you spiritually. Or maybe you're like Hagar and the woman at the well and her friends, and you've experienced Jesus, and he's changed your life, but you've not gone and told others about him yet so that he can change theirs. See, your next steps today are, are really easy. I mean, as a, there are only two, two real options spiritually for application today. When we look at, okay, I've heard the message, what do I do? The first one is you need to know God. You need to know that God sees you. You need to know that God loves you. You need to know that God cares about you. You need to know that your past is in the past and you can move past it and start new. Like that's the first step. If you've done that, awesome. If you haven't, you need to decide today to know God. But if you know God, then I say this, if you know, you've got to go. Go where? You've got to go tell someone else. See, that's the pattern in Scripture of people who met Jesus. They always wanted their friends to meet Jesus. Why? Because of what he did in their life. You see, when you know, you got to go. And here's the two prayers that I want to pray as, as we conclude our service time here today. One, if you don't know God, I want you to commit, if your heart is open to it today, to saying, God, today I, I understand you see me and you love me. And that has opened my eyes and my heart to follow you, uh, whatever that means. And I will do my best to get to know you. If you're in here today and you've not made that decision, I pray that today you will. But if, if you're in here today and you have made that decision and you're not going, then like you're stuck. Because once you know, you've got to go. And you've got to tell someone, man, come meet this person that so radically knows me that he transformed my life, continues to transform my life, um, and I think your life would benefit from knowing him too. And if you haven't done that today, I, I ask our earlier service, one person. I'm just going to ask you, is there one person that you can begin to pray for today that God may help you um, let them know who, who Jesus is? Just one person that you'll take responsibility for and you will try to figure out how to help them understand who Jesus is. We pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name today. And God, we're thankful for the Bible text in Genesis chapter 16 that reminds us um, when everything seems to have gone wrong and we feel separated from friends and we feel separated from family and maybe we have distance between us and the people that we work for, us and the people that we work with, when things aren't good and we're all alone, and we wonder how much longer we can keep going. Thank you for the reminder that on those days you see us and you care about us. And God, if we could just remember when we see a bird flying in the air, if we could just remember when we see some wildflowers growing. God, if you care that much about birds and flowers and they keep coming back and they're taken care of, then God, it'll be okay. And God, help us understand that by examining the reality that you see us and you care about us. God, I pray that that will open up our eyes to see you in a life-transforming way, like Hagar had, like the woman in John chapter 4 had, like her friends then had. And God, I pray that you will lead us after we experience that transformation to go and tell others so that they can meet Jesus for themselves. With every head bowed and every eye closed, there's only two next steps really that can be taken from today. One is to know God. The second is if you know, you got to go. So really you have one or two options to ask yourself today with heads still bowed and eyes still closed. How's God speaking to your heart? 
where you are right now, what is God saying to your heart? He's either saying something like, know me, put your faith in me, you can trust me, I love you. Or he's saying something like, who are you going to? Who are you talking to? Who are you praying for? Who are you planning for? And I want to pray for both those groups of people today. First, for those that God is saying, know me. If you're here today, you've never really seen God like you've seen him today. A God who loves, a God who cares, a God who's so gentle with our past, a God who's so willing to forgive, a God who's so quick to offer new life and eternal life. It's the first time the eyes of your heart have really been open to it, and it's attractive to you spiritually. And if this is who Jesus is, you want to follow him and be close to him, then if that's you, I just want you to pray um, a simple little prayer. Say, Christian, I don't know how to pray. I'm actually going to lead you in it. You, you won't even have to think you just have to open up your heart to the reality of this prayer and I'm going to ask you to repeat a prayer after me you don't even have to say it out loud you just say it in your heart but if today God is speaking to your heart to know him or maybe to rededicate your life to him to get closer to him to begin to really follow Jesus passionately and I want you to pray these words just in the quietness of your heart that's wide open to God now God today I need you And to be honest, God, if you are who was presented today, I want you in my life. It's attractive to me, God, to think that you know me inside and out, and that you still love me, and that while not condoning my past, you don't condemn it either because you're willing to forgive me because of what Jesus did for me. So today by faith, with my eyes open to who Jesus is, God, I say in my heart that today by faith, I want to follow Jesus. Today I want to give my heart to you, God. And I want to follow you. And I want to know you. I pray that you'll forgive me for all the things in my past that haven't met your perfect standard. And I pray that one day at a time you'll make me brand new and help Jesus to add so much value to my life and to my eternity that I can't wait to share it with others. Save me today. Change me today and every day until I become just like you. With heads still bowed and eyes still closed, I know there's a large group here today who God is saying to your heart, it's time to go. It's time to go. You know me. Who are you telling about me? You know me. Who are you inviting to hear about me? You know me. Who who are you praying for about me? I, I just, if you're in here today and God is speaking to your spirit that it's time to go and tell someone about Jesus or be aware that they need Jesus, I just want you in your heart to just pray and ask God to help others see Jesus in you. To pray and ask God for the boldness, maybe to talk to a friend or a family member or a neighbor or a co-worker. To pray and ask God to help others to see you as someone who follows Jesus. And for that to be attractive to them so they'd be willing to meet Jesus themselves. And if you're thinking of a specific person, just in your heart, just say that name to God. God, help this person this year to see Jesus in me. Help me to be aware that they need Jesus. 
and God give me a plan to tell them about him. Now, God, today we admit that we love you and we need you. We're kind of all like the parents who dedicated their children. We have a lot of moments we say thank you, God, for and We have a lot of moments that we say help me, God, for. So, God, today we love you. We thank you. We need your help. Let this message burn into our souls so that on those days we feel alone, we know you're there, we know that you care. Let that transform us into a way that would be life-shaping for us and for others. Thank you for our time in Bible study and worship today. Wesley sings in Jesus' name and everyone said together, Amen. Here's what I want you to do. Take your